What's up guys? Welcome to The Modern Agilist. Today we're going to talk about um, some case studies, uh, instances where companies who are not in IT applied Agile, Scrum, software delivery methods in non-software environments. This is a, a novel concept as uh, Agile methods are used so predominantly in information technology and in software delivery. But it's been the argument for a very long time that it shouldn't be limited to that because Agile has high value in any environment where a creative value must be produced in a dynamic, uh, changing, and unpredictable environment. Um, I'm going to kick off our discussion on our case studies by looking at or talking about the Clarence Cosmetic Group. Uh, this was a this is a two billion that's with a B two billion dollar cosmetics company that applied agile methods over the pandemic to completely transform um, their two billion dollar business. Now um, the first two things they saw that were going to be problematic right off rip were um, as um, as the pandemic hit most of their interactions with their customers were through retailers and department stores now suddenly when you have all these stores closing how do you maintain a connection with your customers and then the second was is that they were getting their lunch eaten by um, smaller newer companies that were doing better digital marketing their marketing was heavily reliant upon physical marketing think about it you're walking through the mall walking through the the cosmetic place this is a product that is very tactile and physical in nature you have to use it you got to try it before you buy it type stuff and so um the first things they did and this this is an extrapolation from agile principles practices and values was they um, uh, started by having a direct collaboration with the customer okay so they said okay we're going to do an end run around the retailers and department stores and have di direct interaction with the users of our products the cosmetic users and then the other is we're going to restructure uh, and rearrange around cross-functional teams. Now, this wasn't a reorg in the traditional sense, but it was a, they called them virtual teams, right? And in order to make this even easier too, um, they, they went full remote. So um, direct interaction with the customer, reorg around cross-functional teams that can de deliver value directly to that customer and go full remote so that we're not limited by the geography and physical availability of each other. Um, the, the third thing they did, which was really kind of interesting, is, is they shortened and increased the focus of their meetings. Now, some people can have a, um, uh, a, a view that uh, Agile is just process heavy, but really the meetings and the sessions that are traditionally used in Agile methods like Scrum are designed to minimize and focus those meetings. And that's what played out here. Now, I just want to point out just one observation from this initial uh, this initial kind of lay of the land was uh, my first observation is, you know, and uh, Rick, Mike, feel free to hop in if you have mm -hmm. any thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Is 
that you don't need to do everything perfect. Really, they did a few simple things, and because there were just a few, um, they could do them well, and they did them now. Mm. Okay? Mm. Um, I've been a part of digital transformation where it's like the marketing, the internal marketing about the transformation was taking longer than what it could have taken just to get started. Right. That we're, we're doing a transformation, digital transformation. It's like, you know, just implements a few things uh, right out the gate, right? Um, now, I want to just mention a few things on, on the squads. These cross-functional teams, they refer to them as squads, right? You want to call them scrum teams, squads, whatever you want to call them, right? But um, this is something that's a bit unorthodox in their application here, which is really interesting because I see it has come up in some other uh, um, uh, agility-oriented fellowships I'm a part of. Is Their first squad was an executive squad. It, it included the CEO and the heads of the business div divisions, right? This allowed for instant decision-making worldwide without the bureaucracy. And this, this uh, squad, its tagline was a, a what now? What now question mark? Hmm. And so that really, when you think about it, um, it's a bit unorthodox because a lot of times the executive crew is not a part of the model in an agile kind of network. Mm -hmm. Here, they're their own squad and they have a very specific purpose to cut down on the bureaucracy because getting consensus, the larger the group, the more expensive it is to get that consensus. Mm -hmm. Okay, the second squad was the what next? And that was to say, listen, we're in a temporary crisis. What's the plan um, going forward? That is, how do we operate in such a way that we can transition back when stores do open back up and people start heading back in, okay? And then the third, which had some of the biggest input, was the, um, the what if, okay? This is really keying in on that uncertainty piece. And they had to ask questions like, what if the stores never open? Um, what if uh, people were wearing masks forever? How does that work with makeup? Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's a good one. What if our, our, our customers, what if they do come back and they don't wear a mask, but they drop by 30%? Okay. Now, the first action items that came out of the third squad was they moved all of their inventory from the stores into a warehouse and instantly up the focus in selling online. This critical move avoided... a. a uh, free fall in sales, which it, it alone c could have saved the saved the company, right? Um, and then the next thing they implemented was a one-on-one -on -one booking for the stores that did remain open. From the standpoint, is that you could, um, you know, uh, schedule a one-on-one -on -one booking with a makeup specialist to come in, and even in a, a mass world. There are circumstances, if it's a one-on-one -on -one booking in a controlled environment, that that could still provide a way for people to feel safe and to still get the benefit, right? Um, the, the, the big thing that came out of this entire uh, digital innovation, more than a digital, philosophical worldview innovation that came from the Clarence group was one thing they, they really noticed is that the, the incentives and leadership style um, the intangibles are, are far more important than ceremonies and processes. They didn't employ many of the traditional language and the yeah. terms, um, artifacts that we're accustomed to hearing. But they, in fact, 
they, they even said um, in the strategy and business article on this that um, they became agile without doing agile. I see. And then, and then the other thing, and I think, and I'll close with this, the most interesting thing I think they did, and this harkens back to that uh, famous and pivotal book, um, The Lean Startup, mm-hmm. was they said they, they were going to, no matter how things played out, uh, provide a secure base in the future for more experimentation. That's what creates this environment, this environment of continuous innovation, mm-hmm. and um, is the the more and varied experiments that an organization can have within its little um, uh, within its own network, within its own cells, then the benefits of that experimentation can bubble all the way up to the larger organization, and that is is it is that anything but agility in the true sense of the term. That's great. That's cool. I, I like the part too, or or the the idea that they became agile without being agile. Yeah, right? so, so saying, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's that Yoda stuff yeah. we like. That's key. <laughs> cool. So, Mike, do you, you have uh, since we're doing case studies here? You have a case study you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I was reading about um, uh, how Marines are trained to make split second decisions. Um, based on incomplete information. And um, uh, so, you know, Marines are getting fired upon on all, on all areas. Um, and they have to figure out what their next decision is. They have to move fast. They have to qu- uh, move quickly. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're a PO listening or you're part of a scrum team and you're thinking, I got to act fast on this release. I got to work fast. I got to get this release out the door. How do the Marines do that? How, how, how do they think so fast on their feet? How do they make these split-second uh, decisions? So one of the things that they do is they do what's called the rule of three. Um, and I'm reading from uh, Inc. I believe Inc.com. It's called Corpse Values by David Freeman. Um, and he discusses the rule of three. And he writes, In business, decentralization, decentralization and organizational flattening typically involve gutting several layers of management, often leaving managers overwhelmed with as many as dozen direct subordinates. The Marines, on the other hand, have pushed out decision-making authority while retaining a simple hierarchical, hierarchical, how do you guys say that? Hierarchical. Thank you. Also, uh, hierarchical. I get get to play on the words, too, at the beginning, the the core values. The core values, core core value, get that? In a nutshell, the rule is this. Each Marine has three things to worry about. In terms of organizational structure, the rule of three means a corporal has a three-person fire team, a sergeant has a squad of three fire teams, a lieutenant and a staff sergeant have a platoon of three fire squads, and so on up to the general. The functional version of the rule dictates that a person should limit his or her attention to three tasks or goals. When applied to this strategy, the rules prescribes boiling, boiling a world of infinite possibilities down to three alternate courses of action. Anything more, and a Marine can come overextended and confused. The Marines experimented with a rule of four and found that effectiveness plummeted. It did not work. Um, so, sounds, sounds a little bit like the, uh, uh, what is it, the... Uh they're against the jack of all trades, master of none type of mentality. 
Yeah, they're, yeah. They're buddying up with expertise within a group. Right. Go ahead. Yes. I, I that, just, it just really struck me as interesting. That and what I what I thought was, um, I immediately thought of whip limits. The these these Marines are tasked with three things. Mm-hmm. Um, anything anything more, they get overextended and confused. Sure. Okay. Um, so um, obviously, you know, when when you're when you're in scrum and, and, and you're part of a team and you're start starting out with sprint planning and you don't want to you don't you don't want to overextend your team so you implement these whip limits mm-hmm. so um, that's that's what I immediately thought of um, and uh, just the art uh, down by, down below the article talks about um, uh, Dan Clawfield uh, he's the founder of Higher Quality which is a 2.3 million Chicago uh, job placement company um, for all for honorable discharge military personnel, and he embraces the rule of three to his own company. He says, um, "I have I have a chief operating officer reporting to me. He has a three people reporting to him, and so on down the line." He says, "But the battle plan mentality the Marines taught him has made the most difference in his business." He said, "Whatever your environment is, it will change. In business, it will change fast." You learn to make quick decisions without all the information. You're tolerant of those who make mistakes, but intolerant of those who can't act fast. And that quote's from Karen Dillon and Joshua Matt. So that's basically my case study. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. And so. Mike, I just, a few of the things you said reminded me. I worked with this um, scrum master one time great guy and I noticed in some of the situations we're in they were in that institution extremely high pressure high high stress you know you could see the sweat coming off people's brows and people having to dry their hands frequently coming out of different meetings right Um, and I noticed this guy was always cool and I said man you're 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 as cool as a cucumber right and he just kind of smiled and he said uh, I used to be a cop so as long as someone's not shooting at me, you know, it's not that big of <laughs> yeah. a deal, right? Yeah. And so that, that sticks out my mind. That's good. That's um, good. The other thing I was thinking, um, I've heard this acronym, um, they call it the VUCA, and it stands for that volatility, uncertainty, and complexity. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and it's to describe these environments like um, uh, war field, mm. the changing uh, marketplace or whatever, and and VUCA is the the environment that Agile is basically designed to uh, thrive in, um, and and the whole the the whole thing on um, you know th- only three a minimum of three things, mm-hmm. you know I was thinking in my case study of like hey they did a few things simple but they did them well and here it's like this minimal and it just reminds me on how many things go back to this idea of that um, that cellular automata or the game of life how simple rules can result in very complex mm-hmm. behavior and uh, you know having a uh, hundred quote-unquote top-level goals and a uh, hundred things you're doing supposedly at the same time and and all this it's just this loss of focus it's just a principle that applies across the entire field you know yeah we want to pursue like an irreducible complexity and that scales in a way that's really interesting and and uh, found to be true both in engineering and practical life you know a couple other things I was thinking of too I just I was looking it up so I could kind of read it real quick but um, you know I think we talked before maybe maybe be, 
in a podcast or maybe between ourselves, but about the, the whole idea of shuhari to, mm-hmm. and that kind of muscle memory too that you get yep. to. Um, you know, you think about, hey, we're going to do rules of three. We're going to we're going to make sure that we're not overloading ourselves, overwhelming ourselves as individuals or as teams. But then, you know, as teams and people mature, they you know they start to get that, for lack of a better term, muscle memory. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and things become almost instinctive. You know, and I'm thinking, and I can't speak from experience with the marine, but I'm just thinking of anybody doing any job that's high stress or mm-hmm. you know high 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 rate of something changing. Right, that they kind of have an instinct to an extent of what needs to happen in this situation yeah. or a similar situation. And there's a book, too, that, that I have. It's um, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I'm sure I'm uh, butchering that last name, but I'm just going to read this. It's kind of interesting. Um, and it's just kept coming into my head. I'm not sure how applicable it is to everything you said, but just the whole idea of what, how, how the human mind thinks, how people think. But it's, uh, you know, the books I'm reading here from Wikipedia. So little little... Uh, cheat sheet or cliff notes in the book but the book's main thesis is that of a dichotomy between two modes of thought system one is fast instinctive and emotional system two is slower more deliberative and more logical the book delineates rational and non-rational motivations or triggers associated with each type of thinking process and how they complement each other starting with Kahneman's own research on loss aversion from farming choices uh, sorry, from framing choices to people's tendency to replace a difficult question with one which is easy to answer. The book summarizes several decades of research that suggests that people have too much confidence in human judgment. Mm. The data is summarized from decades of Kahneman's research, often in collaboration with Amos Tversky. It covers different uh, phases of his career, his early work concerning cognitive bias, his work on prospect theory and happiness, or with the Israeli Defense Forces. Interesting stuff there. That's cool. You know, I had an opportunity to um, do some training with a with a with some someone we're really hoping to get on the show possibly next week. Uh, some some agile training last week and. He, he kept always going back to this question. He said at every uh, stopping point, like after we would finish a module, he would say, okay, now go back to this one particular page and write down how you intend to apply this. Mm. And frankly, I, a few times I was like, I ain't applying none of this, man. I just want to think about these cool ideas, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm just over here like, oh, wow, that's really neat or whatever. But I, I could see the, the method to his madness was what it, that which is not applied. That which is not used is lost. That's interesting. Is, is lost, yeah. you know, and um, and um, that that principle there. If the muscle memory is not developed, all the study in the world it will not benefit. You right. know, right? It's interesting how that that, that occurs too. Mm-hmm. How you do something after a while, you do it. It kind of becomes hey, I apply it in this situation, and you gain the muscle memory and. And then you learn. It's almost like uh, somebody who becomes an expert with something, right? Some tool. They, they use it in ways that somebody who's beginning doesn't know how to use it or when to use it. It's cool, too, because it, it frees up your mind, and the cognitive load is reduced on doing that right. thing, which right. frees you to go into things that still need solving. Yeah. You know? yeah. All right, I've got a case study here. Um, it's an article from Forbes, um, and it's, it's a pretty interesting article. I, I like cars, and a lot of times when I talk to you guys or to anyone else, if I'm trying to break down a, a problem or a situation, I like to put it in, into an analogy that has to deal with cars. I don't know why. Cars have a lot of parts. They do a lot of things that are cool. 
and they're fun to talk about. Uh, so this article is called uh, Wikispeed. Um, I think Justice, you suggested this one. I read it and I really liked it. Um, how a hundred mile per hour car was developed in three, uh, I'm sorry, hundred mile per gallon car was developed in three months. Did, wait, wait, wait. Did you say three years? Three months. Three months. Yeah. So, yeah, think about it. 100 miles per gallon. Not only, the reason I said 100 miles per hour is because it actually, it this car not only goes 100 miles to the gallon, but it goes from zero to 60 in less than five seconds. It weighs just 1,404 pounds, and it has a top speed of 149 miles per hour. And its ground clearance can be adjusted anywhere from uh, racing to sport utility. So how in the world did they develop such an interesting car in three months in this, this article? And I won't read it all, but it, it, it you know seeks to explain it a little bit. Um, doesn't get into too, too much detail about all, all the specifics of what this company, Wikispeed, not WikiLeaks, uh, does um, and how they did it. But it does kind of give an example of how Agile can be applied and why it's useful. And then one little line here says, using Agile uh, radical management methods, their prototype was developed in just three months. So what are wow. some of those methods? How did that happen? So um, believe it or not, the person here who began, seems like working in terms of Team Wikispeed on this, this challenge here was named Justice. And I asked Justice <laughs> if it was him somehow, and he wasn't telling us something. I think it is. <laughs> But uh, you're like, hey, hey, read this one. This is a good one. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, a really cool guy in there. <laughs> so it's by day, Justice is a young software consultant in the Seattle area. So I don't think it's it's Justice no, who's sitting there. No, it's not right. me. Uh, but Sorry. he is also the leader of international team of the international team Wikispeed, which is now building a fast, affordable, ultra efficient, safe, and fun commuter car that should sell for less than twenty grand. Interesting. Um, so it wow. says, you know, at the beginning of his, his effort here, um, he was alone and he blogged about what he was doing, what he was learning, and he brought together a team eventually, uh, seems like a distributed team from what I'm understanding here, just a few months later, and there's 44 members of this team in four different countries, and they're functioning, they're, they're building like a, uh, a prototype, and they've entered it in uh, what to uh, what's called the Progressive Insurance X Prize. It's a $10 million prize aimed at seeing if it is even possible to build a 100-mile-per-gallon uh, road-legal safety, uh, safety specs met car. So they, they've entered this, this effort that they were already trying to do with this fellow named Justice, brought together a team, it's a distributed team, and they've entered into this, this competition to see what they can do, how efficient they can make it, and I think their goal is also to make it fun, right? Because, you know, I don't think anyone wants a boring car if they don't. If they don't just, just to, mm-hmm. I don't want to get tricked by the end of this mm-hmm. case study from you. Is there a massively muscular man pedaling on the inside of this car? <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a bunch <laughs> of hamsters in the wheels. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so they they really for the most part did this they achieved this 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 success um you know i i don't recall I, if i remember in the article i don't think they they uh, actually won the prize necessarily i might be wrong on that um i can look here in a second 
but they they achieved making a fun car that was incredibly efficient, safe, could do a lot of things like we just talked about, top speed of 149, 100 miles to the gallon, or um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, you know, the, the question here and kind of the title in the one section of the article was, what was the secret? What was Wikispeed's secret? And, mm-hmm. you know, it says simply Agile, but I think we can <laughs> say from experience, Agile doesn't always solve every problem and it doesn't always work great right out of the box. Mm-hmm. So what was done? Um, and it says, Wikispeed team achieved all this by developing a car like modern software teams using the radical management methods of Agile lean and scrum mm-hmm. um so they they go into a little bit of a background here and this is this is interesting to me because you know i've worked in the realm of manufacturing and like i said i love cars and we like to think of all the parts and things that have to go on to into building a car and how it comes out and you know hey this is dependent on this so on and so forth and it says manufacturing processes existing manufacturing processes are slow because they're very expensive to change and it goes on, and I won't read it, but it goes on to talk about, you know, hey, if you want to change this little piece, there's a humongous cost involved because you've already got the die that's punching this piece out made. You've already have an investment into the thing that's producing this piece, right, to a larger thing. So just like we talk a lot about waterfall and stuff like that, we've already committed in a waterfall mindset to doing X Right, and we've already put all of our effort into saying this is how we're going to do it, and no, you know, click, click, no changes, and we're going to run with it. And in six months, we'll see if it's what you want, and if it's not, we'll go back and retool it. And then there's a cost involved with that. So there's that whole that that yeah. came all the way even before um, kind of agile methods were software mm-hmm. at an assembly line, where if there's some some. Uh, quality violation on something fell outside of a tolerance. It was like full line stop. Yeah. The entire assembly line stopped because the greater the distance between when the uh, when the error entered mm-hmm. and when it is fixed is the more expensive. If you want to minimize that time, as soon as it's found, full stop, corrected at that place. Yeah. Yep. And it says, too, as, as well as manufacturing, traditional software development used to be done exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Large software companies with teams and narrow specialists worked in dedicated facilities going through many years of planning and implementation to produce something, right? And then you've gotten down the road and you're like, is this what you want? Is this what we need? And, you know, your years down the road and things have changed, too. It's on top of it all. So very slow, very expensive traditional manufacturing same thing with some existing and traditional software development. So, um, you know, I won't I won't go into what is Agile. We should yeah. kind of have a general idea, I think, at this point in the podcast of what Agile is, right? But um, let's talk about what Wikispeed implemented and how that's how that was beneficial to them. So, Team Wikispeed follows the model of Agile software teams using one week sprints, and the team iterates over the entire car every seven days. So I know for, for us, having worked together, you know, we um, we typically look at sprints as being two weeks, but that's not a hard, fast rule. But in this case, Wikispeed said, hey, every week we're going to work on something, and then we're going to go and look at every single thing at the end of the week, kind of iterate over it and start fresh. So they do one-week sprints. The, the, the one, one law as far as, like, how long an iteration is or whatever mm-hmm. is we always have to keep in mind that Parkinson's law that the it's the old adage that work expands to fill the allotted time. Mm-hmm. So if it can be done in smaller time, go with it. You know. Yeah. 
they um they also said a little bit here too is you know in addition to doing fast sprints you know making sure that they iterate over the car they they realized and, and there's some more detail in the article around this but they realized that they needed to not just make a car that could do these things and look like a block basically but it was beautiful people wanted to, the car um, so they iterated a uh, composites process that ended up building the car body in a structural carbon fiber in three days at a cost of eight hundred dollars eight hundred dollars for a car body out of carbon fiber so they not only are they iterating over all the things and seeing how it is and how it's going but they're also saying what can we do to the lower cost what can we do to increase the efficiencies mm-hmm. it seems like and it doesn't to my understanding here because there's not a lot of detail here but it seems like as a part of their iteration over the car they're iterating over how are we not only what are we giving you at the end of a sprint mm-hmm. but how are we giving it to you how can we do it better more efficiently lower cost that's makes me think of elon musk and his great innovation his biggest innovation our people argue is it's not the car it's the factory it's the how it's the tooling it's the approach it's good it's yeah. a robotics yeah. company not yeah. just a car company yeah part of and, and i like to think of it this way part of the product right or the software or whatever is the how yeah. right is the process um, you know, you think about it like with computers too, right? Like, yeah, you know, you get some Dells and, you know, and they run on Windows and they do this. And there's all little, hey, we're going to run this software and we're going to include these drivers and these things. And they may come from third parties, but then you look at a computer. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but you look at a computer like an Apple, a Mac. I right? would say one's better. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would too, but I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not being paid off by anybody. But, you know, you look at a Mac and everything is in-house. It's specifically designed for this. It's it's changed on this. And I'm not saying every decision that Apple makes is is great or anything right, like that. Right. But I'm saying you can see on the output mm-hmm. like which computer works better, which computer has less problems, less viruses, less vulnerable, less you know, better battery life, all and it's the process mm-hmm. yields the product. So it's part of the product, right? Yeah. So it, you know, just you don't get a Mac, you don't get a car, you don't get anything without process involved mm-hmm. too. So how do you make that process effective, efficient, and um, Which speaks, real quickly, which speaks to the value of the Agilist. You know, Mm -hmm. speaks to the value of the Agilist in that, you know, process engineers. Yeah. Yeah, optimizing systems optimizer. You know, gadfly, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to people's chagrin, but, you know, uh, observer of inefficiencies, uh, unblocker, you know. And what's interesting, what strikes me when you say that, too, is that it's not up to the Agilist to figure out what to do, necessarily. You know, that comes down to the people who are experts in manufacturing, in software, mm-hmm. in whatever it is. But as the Agilist, we need to be able to identify this is an area of inefficiency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a problem. Or this is going well. How do we continue to do this? How do we push forward doing we need to be, like you said, the observers. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, we can solve things. But in other cases, we can say, listen, I'm bringing this to the surface. I'm showing you what we can do, you know, what, what may need to change. How do we change it? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so anyways, this article goes on, and I, th- I, th- I thought this piece was pretty cool. And uh, I'm wondering if, if there's anything that we can take away. But, you know, it says... Not Justice here, who's talking, but Justice explains that the key to speed in this manufacturing process is being modular. Um, 
So, you know, I'll read this, this little, little blurb here, this part of this paragraph. It says, the engine can be switched from a gasoline engine to an electric engine in the time it normally takes to change a tire. The car body switches from a convertible to a pickup truck. This enables quick development. The chassis holds all the modules together. Together, It is the lightest chassis in the world to achieve a five-star crash rating uh, equivalency. The car is safe because the team designs safety tests for all the car parts before they are made. They take this practice from test-driven development into the soft, in the software world. Wow. Um, the team reduces the cost of making changes wherever possible, cost of tooling machinery and complexity. This means that they don't have to wait three to seven years for the next version of their product. They are able to make changes in any part of the car every seven days. Man, that's so interesting. And once again, not because not I'm just a got a, uh, a crush on Elon Musk or, <laughs> we, or Tesla, right? But this that modularity has been applied there as well from yep. the standpoint of they do basically battery skateboards of like this is a flat base with the wheels, the batteries are in it, and then everything else goes on top mm-hmm. of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I can't remember if, if if I saw this or not correctly, but I think GM is doing something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Now, they want to do all a, a lot of electric vehicles, so they built basically the electric vehicle base, base the yep. chassis or whatever, mm-hmm. and everything else is going to kind of go on top of that. Yeah. Super efficient. So. Bits and pieces, modular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, iterations. We're seeing a trend here, right? Iterate over it. Don't do everything at once. It's wild. Make a modular. Like, so many of these innovations, like they're coming out of uh, agile th- thought space, right. Right? right? Which really has found its home in information technology. But a lot of the principles in agile specifically have been kind of taken from IT advances and even the idea of modularity. Mm-hmm. This is a software development concept, yeah. right? I, I've, I've made the argument before that most companies today, mm-hmm. even if they're straight up logging companies, you know, or manufacturing, they are now IT computer tech companies. You have to be today. And I'm not just talking about process, but like I'm I'm sitting here next to a Dunkin' Donuts cup on the back of it. Earn rewards using Dunkin' app, yada, 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 Uh you know. Everything is is tied into tech, how they make their donuts, how they get them out efficiently. Mm -hmm. I mean, how they bring people to the stores. There's there's an example. We're talking about modularity in Mm -hmm. car manufacturing. Everything is taking on these processes and this mindset, too. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, So anyways, it kind of wraps up the article here, but I I pulled out just a couple things that stuck out to me. In in addition, so as Agilists, we look at things and how do we structure processes? How do we structure workflows? How do we make things efficient? You know, and we can kind of line those things up too. But the the stuff that happens within falls to the team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the development, the, the working together, the you know the solution, the solving problems, you know, within that structure, within that process, within that workflow. And it says here, you know, uh, they use uh, distributed collaborative teams. This helps increase team velocity. Uh, and it says they organize their teams using Scrum. They do all their work in pairs. And I'm just pulling out parts that, that were interesting. Pair programming. In. Yep, pair programming, yep. And I think, Mike, you mentioned that one of your teams that you're working with is, is talking about doing something similar, not necessarily pair programming, but the, the buddy system. Yes, yeah, buddy system. You want to explain that real quick, kind of what the buddy system is? Yeah, so basically um, uh, we're, we, have, uh, we have new people on our team right now, and so um, uh, one, of the, um, one of the dev people brought up, a great idea of having a buddy system and basically what that is is um 
basically what that is is we come together as a team and we vote on um, on what we're skilled in from like one to five. Um, so if this if one person is better at um, at at the front end development or web, um, they'll put a five there. And if they find out one person is not um, really up to speed or isn't rated a five in that category, um, they buddy up with that person, and it's vice versa within within each person. So if someone's if someone's lacking in a skill set, um, the other your other buddy is skilled in that area, and if that other buddy is not skilled in a certain area, and you are and you are skilled you are skilled in that certain area, um, it's it. It brings a uh, it brings team morale together. It makes things go faster, um, and uh, yeah, y- you know that. And, and not only that, you're 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 learning from each other as well. Um, so you can get up to speed. Um, so that so the team can come together and mature more um, as a whole team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. I just wanted to add to that, like it's interesting, uh, anyone, our listeners, definitely go check out, uh, just Google, uh, There Is No Speed Limit, mm. which was yeah. a blog post about someone learning uh, music theory that was going to take them some years and a few hours. And it speaks to the power of a knowledgeable person uh, communicating and, and passing that knowledge to another. The, the communication bandwidth of face-to-face uh Communication between two humans—it's yeah. it's unreal, um, and so that—that—that's why paired programming. That's why buddy systems. That's why that stuff is just so powerful. Yeah, and that's a good segue. And the last two things here that stuck out to me about what uh, WikiSpeed here is doing is, uh, you know, the people uh, doing the work share knowledge, mm-hmm. and the tools they use. I'm not sure if this necessarily makes a difference, but they're free. There, there doesn't need to be a lot of overhead in terms of tools, but there are a lot of great collaborative tools. Right. Um, I'll give them a shout out here. A uh, little, little, uh, little, little. Uh, hey, go, go, crowdfund them. They're looking for crowdfunding, I guess, right now. I think if it's still applicable, it's at Indiegogo, I N D I E G O G O, dot com. So yeah, really cool article. Uh, I like cars. I like hearing about stuff with Agile. This is like this is right up my alley. Yeah, uh, you know, with these different case studies, we could go on and on, but really, um, we want to ask you, our listeners, that if you've observed any examples or know of any cases in which Agile is being applied to non-IT type work, please share that with us on social media or directly through our website. We would love to unpack this stuff. I I challenge anyone out there, just go on Amazon right now and look for a book that seeks to apply Agile methods to non-IT. So far, I've seen one. Very, very, very little out there, right? Wow. This is uncharted territory um, from the standpoint of just the the upside, the low hanging fruit, and the innovation that's possible in this particular space is just unreal. And so, any ideas? Shoot them our way. Comment on uh, LinkedIn, social media, or communicate through our website. Yeah. One, one other thing, too, real quick. I I know a fellow. Maybe we can get fellows. We can have him uh, come on the show too. He's an architect who started to do some agile stuff kind of we can pick his brains on you know what went well what did he do and is he still doing it um so that's that's really cool too just mm-hmm. all right well thanks fellas 
Um, I guess this is a good place to say we've got a guest coming up next time. Yeah, um, he, uh, we're working out the details, but we're going to bring on someone that you guys are going to absolutely love. I've been working in the Agile space for over a decade, and spending a few days with this fellow um, really made me question a lot of things I thought I knew that I could participate in passively. I was really challenged, and by the end, um, felt uh, felt challenged as a human being, and and really what I perceive as my role as as a, as a real servant leader. And re- you know, I had teary eyes by the end of our, our working time together. And so I had to I had to bring this uh, this guy on the show. And so uh, look forward to that coming up. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Modern Agilist Podcast, where we examine and discuss all things related to agile and large scale software delivery. You can find the latest podcast episodes and our latest blog posts on our website, themodernagilist.net. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you enjoyed listening to our content, please subscribe. Subscribe.